Well, hello and welcome to episode 158 of the 1099 for the week of July 23rd, 2018. I'm your host, Josiah Renauden, and with me today is the senior community producer at Giant Bomb, the former lead editor at Whiskey Media, former marketing and PR producer at Obsidian Entertainment, and a lover of dogs of all shapes and sizes, Matt Rory. Matt, how are you doing today? Hey, how are you? I'm doing great. I have a dumb question. Do you- how many dogs do you have? Like, was this a, a your love of dogs? Did it start as you owned multiple dogs and just started to love them? Or has this been a lifelong thing even when you didn't own dogs? Uh, we never had dogs growing up. We had my grandmother's dogs that we dogs had a bunch, uh, which is really nice. We have two now. It's mostly my – they're mostly my girlfriend's dogs before I moved in. But now they're kind of both – she's the disciplinarian and uh, <clears throat> groomer. And they hate that kind of stuff. So they always come to me for support. So now I kind of get to be the good dad in that in that sense. So only two at the moment. Were you not allowed to have dogs when you were younger? It just never really happened. No, we just had cats. Uh, never was big family, uh, four kids and a uh, big household. So it was never, um, you know, money was not always super expansive. So cats were easier for us to, to have than dogs. And we always dogs had for my grandmother's stuff. And that was pretty, pretty, pretty often that happened. So it wasn't, uh, wasn't too much of a problem. Yeah, well, it's usually like the, the great compromise of if you like if you dog sit for someone, you don't have to go through all the normal dog ownership stuff, and you just get yep. all the benefits. We had I lived in a trailer court growing up that had a big sign, it's a red sign that said "No dogs, don't even think about it." Um, and for the longest time, we weren't allowed to do that. But as soon as I moved out, I'm like immediately I adopted a dog. So yeah, totally get that. Uh, so complete tangent from that, you have an English degree from Virginia Tech with this focus on <clears throat> professional writing, and you graduated in 2001, but. You didn't actually get your first video game editor job until around 2004. So two questions here. What were you doing those three years after graduation before you got that job? And was there ever a plan to get into games media or was that more of a happy accident? Well, 2001 was a really bad economy. Um, I, don't, I don't know how old you are, but uh, the first dot-com boom happened in 2000 – or bust – happened in 2001 <clears throat> you look at stuff like i think petfood.com was a huge one all these billion dollar companies were going out of business um i had been doing freelancing for a while for GameSpot actually and some other websites back in 99 2000 it was really really good work they pay about i think 2000 bucks for a game guide a single game guide oh my god yeah i know uh and <clears throat> so now those dollars today that'd probably be more like four grand so we're making a lot of, we're making a lot of money but then 2001 GameSpot stopped doing freelance stuff and, and actually stopped doing a lot of, uh, I know, I believe people got laid off and it, at least expansions were halted. So there's a few lean years, not just in game stuff, but writing or the economy in general is really tough to, to find work. So I, I kind of went back home, uh, lived with my mom for a while, worked in a bookstore. Uh, pardon me. I tried to pick some freelance writing up where I could, but I was mostly just trying to do, uh, you know, retail, retail work. I, I liked the bookstore a lot. I uh, worked at Books A Million in McLean, Virginia. Um, did the magazine rack, which if you've ever been on a Books A Million, that is a two-day job just to <laughs> turn over all those magazines. So yeah. um, it was fun just kind of keeping keep my head down, writing where I could. Um, I did some Game Facts stuff. Uh, <clears throat> but yeah, just trying to stay afloat until... Something came up, and luckily GameSpot started to do freelance again a few years later, and uh, I got back into it, and eventually an offer came in to just fly out and interview for the game guy position, and luckily I was kind of, I think, the the person they had in mind because I had been working with them for so long, but uh, it all seemed to work out in the end. 
Were you just doing guides at the start? Were you also doing any sort of reviews, previews, news, anything like that? No, guides kept me super busy. I was, I mean, I did the occasional for E three and stuff like that. You had to all hands on deck. I would yeah. do uh, the dumbest thing ever. Is used to be, uh, used to look at trailers at E three and describe them in a news story for people, <laughs> rather because we couldn't get them up. Uh, you can you can process video that quick back then. Yeah. It took forever to turn that stuff around. So. Um, any new game announcements have to go in a new story or anything like that. So everybody's doing that kind of stuff. But for the most part, day to day was all game guides. Uh, I don't think I wrote a single review for for GameSpot ever. Um, not that I would have wanted to. It's it's a lot of work to do that kind of thing. And and my way of going through games with a game guide was very methodical and slow paced. It's not really the way people play games. So, um, but yeah, no, it was all. They're all luckily still there. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the formatting has been erased. A lot of videos are gone from the early game guides. But if you ever want to read 80,000 words about Oblivion, um, luckily they're all still – I think you have to like Google them. I don't think they're easy to find through navigation through the, the site. But if you Google for game guide or walk through for a game in GameSpot, you'll pick up pretty much everything big for those four years I was there. God, that's like a book. That's, yeah. Those guys were massive. Did you ever have any sort of aspirations to write a book, write a TV show, write a movie, anything like that because you had that English degree and because you were getting into professional writing? Uh, no, I'm not, I'm not a super creative writer. I mean, I, I'm a decent at putting words together, but I've never had much of a uh, creative spark. So I'll leave that to the professionals. Um, I'm a very, I don't know, it's kind of like a, some basketball players are really flashy and some people are just there for utility and i've written a few million words in my life or more um i mean eighty thousand words on one guide times not, not they weren't all that long but yeah i'm very utilitarian and when i write i'm i don't uh have much of a narrative spark but <clears throat> i'm decent at putting words together when i when i try uh, and I know it was down the line a different time, but uh, how difficult was the switch from being an editor in games media to being in marketing at a game developer? Because I think a lot of times people assume that if you're in games at any capacity, you can kind of float between different roles and different sides of the industry without too much difficulty. But it, just from my experience and the people I've talked to, it's it's not that easy. You have to kind of change your mindset. So did it take a while to change your mindset to go from media to game dev? Well, uh, Obsidian really... You know, Fergus Urquhart is the CEO over there, so uh, he uh, made it pretty clear that he didn't want a typical marketing person for the role. He wanted somebody who kind of came from a player background. And if you've ever talked about marketing PR people, there are there are some people who are really good at it and some, some people who are, you know, I kind of came from a, a player background, so I was more hard to say. There are there are bad things about doing marketing PR, and the one thing I – if I was going to do that role, I would have to be at a company where I wanted to – believed in all the games that they were making in Obsidian. Obviously, I was a big RPG fan, so I wouldn't have a hard time selling anything. I mean, there are marketing PR, PR people who do PR for games that are not very good, and you can always kind of tell that that struggle is really tough for, for those kind of people, and I never wanted to put myself in that position. So uh, the, the one big thing was working at Obsidian, which I a company that has made, I wouldn't say a single game that I did not want to play. Yeah, um, I haven't played them all, but <clears throat> that, that wouldn't have affected me in that role, but for the most part, it wasn't. I was kind of saved from having to do a lot of heavy lifting uh, in the marketing because we were always working with publishers, Sega on Alpha Protocol and Bethesda on Fault New Vegas, which are the two biggest games that I worked with. So in that sense, I was mostly kind of supplementing their efforts, uh, getting them what they needed, kind of being the liaison for stuff like screenshots. Um, screenshots are very difficult to do to everybody's satisfaction. 
I think I took definitely thousands of screenshots for every one screenshot we put out for fall new vegas i probably took a thousand screenshot candidates it's a very very rough process to get everything filtered down framed right um and making having both fergus be very passionate about that side of the business and you know with and sega they really wanted good stuff too so there were just that was a huge amount of my time on both those projects was trying to take good screenshots for each of the marketing pushes you mentioned before that Obsidian was looking for sort of this player mindset for someone to fill that role. And I feel like that's more common now. You see people um, like uh, Chris Waters from GameSpot, who now works with Ubisoft, and a lot of these people who used to be in media who now get these sort of community roles. But back then, did that feel less common? Was Were a lot of people who were in games media moving on to marketing and PR in the same capacity? I don't really know. I mean, it's a, it's a, a Obsidian's kind of a unique... Uh, place because it's still independently owned. It's not owned by a publisher. Yeah. One of the few really big game developers out there that can claim that a lot of other studios have been picked up. Um, so the marketing PR, like I said, it was more kind of supplementing marketing PR that overarched me. Maybe it was a little bit higher in the hierarchy at the publisher because they were the ones who were selling the games uh, and I was more of a supplemental position there. Kind of a floater. I did a lot of bug reports, did a lot of even some production and things like that. So uh I would say my position was probably a little more unique than just saying marketing PR. There's a lot of other stuff that it entailed, a little bit of community too. Um, so it was, a, it was a weird. It was a weird role. We went through a couple of layoff rounds, and I kind of got to pick up some other other uh, responsibilities at that time too. Yeah, I went through a full LinkedIn deep dive, and I just it sounded like your time there. You wear you wore an incredible number of hats, just having to do a lot of different things there. What were some of the most some of the aspects of game development you learned about at Obsidian that you maybe had misconceptions about while you were at GameSpot, because no matter how long you cover games, you never get the entire scope of what goes into it. Some of the aspects that might have seemed easy that are actually difficult. Did you learn a lot that you were there that you were kind of like, man, I just had no idea this much went into games? Yeah, I mean, if you haven't seen a game really early on in development, it is uh, <clears throat> it's humbling. Games really suck until about the beta point for a lot of them. Uh, they're really tough to get stuff running, a lot of bugs, a lot of crashes. Um, the, the first time you can play through a game from beginning to end is a monumental thing. Um, and it, <clears throat> I think people would be surprised how late that is in development for a lot of games. Uh, at least the ones I worked on are definitely, you know, rough patches. Um yeah, so the, just the struggle of seeing, you know, people work tremendously long and hard to get these games out the door. And the uh, from inception to shipping is a long road, and it's a, a, a tough one for a lot of people. I would, I, I'm not, don't have any special insights beyond Obsidian, but um, just the amount of effort and time and, and work that goes into it. And sometimes, even when they ship, you know, still stuff wrong with them, but um, it's not for lack of trying. That was really just kind of the big thing that I took away from it. How much how much work and how much time goes into making even a, a short-ish game. But um, it was tough to grasp, really. Yeah, I mean, seeing all this stuff non-arted, seeing all the different stages it goes through. And I'd assume something like New Vegas, which is massive and takes so much time to sort of clean up after, even after the framework is put out. You mentioned before it's monumental to see a game playable from start to finish, even when it's not done yet. I mean, the first time you saw it start to finish versus when it came out, is that like a months and months before? Or is there a full gap, like a year-long gap before it's fully playable till the final version? Like, what's the, what was that development like? 
Well, New Vegas is a weird one because there's so many different ways to get to the game. I think the three main factions you can kind of align with. So it wasn't – even if you could play one certain way to get to the game, the other stuff wasn't all implemented yet. So that's kind of a hard one to say versus something like Halo. I mean there's only one way to get through Halo yeah. for the most part. Um, I don't recall the specific dates. This was about 10 years ago. So <clears throat> it's hard to really remember all that. But it was uh, – Luckily, the framework is still there from Fallout 3, but I think they had to build their own conversation engine because it was going to be a little more, bit more – don't hold me to that. I'm not 100% sure, but yeah. it required a lot of adding on to the, the tech that was there. But luckily, for the most part, Obsidian has kind of worked with – is that true? I'm trying to think if it's true if they've actually worked with other engines for the most part. But at least in that one, we already had kind of a tool set ready to go. I wasn't there at the beginning of Fallout New Vegas, and I really can't take much credit for it at all. Um, there's mostly a lot of other people working on that, but I came in nearish the end uh, after AP was kind of on the way out the door. I came in for a little more production work and doing a lot of screenshots. So uh, my <clears throat> my uh, I was definitely, I would, I would say I probably contributed the least amount of <laughs> anything that New Vegas' success. It was a lot of other people working very hard, and I kind of Helped coordinate a few schedules here and there, and that was about it. Can you enjoy playing a game you've worked on that closely once it's out? Is there any sort of, like, I'm going to take this home and play it all weekend type of thing? Or once it ships, you're like, I just don't want to see this thing anymore. I don't know if I've ever played through Fallout New Vegas or AP uh, Protocol. After those games came out, um, you spend... so much time, especially in uh, there's bug bug testing and bug uh, reporting that you have to do, and that was a lot of my my grunt work at the end of those projects. Was Alpha Protocol basically we had to do a, a cover check. It was a, a cover based shooter where you could you know tuck behind walls and stuff and get half height cover and shoot over it. I had to go up to every wall in the game that should have cover, try to get in cover, and if it didn't work, I had to take a screenshot and file a bug report. Oh my god! I yeah, every <laughs> single wall in the game. And luckily, there are mostly, you know, right corners where you would think the other stuff. But you had to have full height cover and half height cover. So basically, my job is to run up to every wall in the game and hit the button to go into cover. And if it didn't work, uh, submit a bug. And I that was a, oh <laughs> that was a long process. Yeah. So, I mean, I've, I'm glad people seem to remember Elf Protocol fondly. But uh, I don't think I could ever play that game again. Yeah. No, I don't blame you. Uh, and- Not for lack of love. Just for... Holy mackerel! <laughs> yeah, you you could only see that thing so many goddamn times before you're like, okay, I get it. Like, I understand what this thing is. Yeah. Uh, and people do talk a lot more today about, and we mentioned it before, people going from games media to development. But you don't very often get the games media to development and then back to games media. That you don't see that as commonly. So for you, did your writing change at all? Of course, you you improved as a writer. You got more reps. But when you started doing freelance again after you were. Um, at Obsidian and before you went full-time at Giant Bomb, did you notice that your writing about games had changed at all because you had that experience as a developer? I don't know if you did reviews after that, but you usually don't expect... Maybe you don't... Maybe you're not easier on games, but there's a different level of empathy you have having been through that experience. Well, I went from uh, Obsidian to Screened, which I moved back up to the Bay Area. I really miss the Bay and all my friends up here. And uh, and Screened was another whiskey media company, so I knew Dave Snyder and Alex Navarro and all these other people who are involved in getting it off the ground. So we came back up for two years, and that was at Whiskey Media, and that was a whole different ballgame. We were writing about movies and TV shows, doing a lot of reviews at that point, which is different for me to get into. Um, a lot of feature work, too. <clears throat> we're trying to get up, you know, eight to ten stories a day, every day of the week, for two people staff and a couple freelancers. It was a, a lot of work. So that was a couple years of maybe like, I don't know, 70, 80 hour weeks. 
especially the second year when uh, Alex went to do halftime at Giant Palm. So it was, again, just kind of – I don't want to say crank shit out, but uh, Adam, actually I forgot to ask if I can curse on this. Oh, you totally can. You're fine. I, I probably will. Um, so there was a lot of utilitarian kind of writing, just you know, writing news recaps, the kind of stuff you see on any movie or news website. Try to make it have a little flair if you can, but if not, just try to get something up as often as you can. Um, had a really great time, but it was a, it was a huge amount of work. But yeah, definitely that was. Uh, I mean, when you have deadlines, and I why deadlines were all self imposed, um, you definitely kind of not a lot of room for second drafts and a lot of the stuff that I did at screens. Um, so kind of dash stuff off, made sure nothing was spelled incorrectly, and and hope hope for the best. For the most part, it's all it was all pretty good. I'm really still really disappointed. The dumbass company that bought that site shut it down, but. Um, I, at least I would have liked to have the archives up, but uh, I have them all Word documents, but not so much in terms of what they look like on the web. So, a um, couple years, not I would never say wasted, but it's yeah. disappointing that that site went away. Yeah, no, that's it has to be difficult when you're like you said, like if the archives aren't up there, you're like, God damn it, what did all yeah. that go to? But you did freelance for a bit though after Screen and before Giant Bomber. Right? I thought you were at GameSpy for a little bit and was doing different things, maybe for GameSpot too. I was a full time employee at GameSpy. Well, yeah, things. I did. I I had like a nine months of unemployment after uh, Screen got shut down. I had a little severance. I did. I filed for unemployment right away. Um, and in California, it's very generous. It's about four hundred fifty bucks a week. Really? Uh, for unemployment. We pay we pay our taxes over here in, in CA for a reason. Um, yeah, so I was unemployed for about nine months, and that was – Obama had just extended the, the unemployment because, uh, you remember, 2010, 12, not great economic times either. So there was like a – I think I could have gotten like a year of unemployment, um, and I had a great nine months, let me tell you. It paid my rent. You know, I had a certain amount of savings I could draw on, so I just kind of took my time. I was definitely looking for work, but uh, – I don't know if I did. Uh, I think I did a couple game guides here and there, but uh, for the most part, I was just kind of applying for jobs and trying to find full time work. But that nine months was great. I slept till four p.m. every day, stayed up till six, <laughs> played a bunch of games. Um, I just had a great time. Um, and then I got hired for game at Gamesfly. I'm not even sure that's on my resume, um, but I was a full time employee for five weeks. Oh, got, I remember this. Yeah, they got bought by. I uh, want to say Ziff Davis or another company, and then they shut down GameSpy after five weeks. So they called me up in the morning, like, "Oh, we're going to see you guys in the in the hotel. HR wants to see you guys in the conference room." I was like, I know exactly what's happening. I'm gonna. I started laughing because it was so. It was actually pretty funny. <clears throat> five weeks in, GameSpy gets shut down. I get another. I, I think they gave me like a month severance, which is fine. Basically, doubled my paycheck for that time. But luckily, it opened me up to. Uh, Come back to Giant Palm when uh, Dave Snyder was leaving a CBS or it was CBS at the time. Um, he wanted to get back and do his own thing. So we had a product manager, quote unquote, uh, opening, which I applied for and got because I know the guys over here pretty well. And it all worked out. And here's my other dumb question. Your, your current title is senior community producer uh, at Giant Bomb. And I feel like a lot of people know you do support stuff, but what is an actual typical Matt Rory at Giant Bomb week look like? Like what all goes into that role? Um, a lot of different things. So I, I kind of, I wasn't a good fit as a product manager. That's kind of more of a technical skill. So I've had my title change a couple times now based on what it's titles always seem really political and weird, but um, yeah, it's hard to describe what I do. But uh, if you want the like day to day task stuff, we have a ticketing system for support tickets for Giant Palm and Comic Vine. So if somebody sends me something to support at 
Giant Bomb or Comic Client, I try to get back to them in a reasonable amount of time. If it's something I can... It, a lot of that stuff is very quotidian. Kind of, pa- I need my password reset. Uh, I got double charged, or I have a question about a store order. That kind of stuff is pretty easy to get back to. And then there's longer, bigger stuff that uh, no bug. A lot of bug reports come in through the the support system too. So those go into the engineering suite that we have a GitHub repository for mm. bugs, and uh, a lot of those come from the staff or the moderators or the site users. So that's another big thing that we do is try to make sure that the engineers know what's going on with the site. Because it's a big site, it's very complicated. Wikis, promos, stories, video, all that kind of stuff. Uh, it's a lot better place than it was a couple years ago. But So nowadays, it's more kind of... I found a lot more bugs a couple years ago than, than I am now. It seemed, things are a lot more stable, um, luckily. Uh, so then there's also trying to try to check in on the forums, the bug reporting forum especially. I haven't had a huge amount of time to write blogs or anything like that lately, but I try to do that. Some forum contests here and there. Talking with the moderators on Slack, uh, keeping in touch with the editors on Slack, um, trying to work in uh, merchandise has become more of a, a important thing over the last couple of years for us. So we are, and we have a, a big help. David Alaska is our, our business guy, and he's much more involved in that now um, than anybody but me has been in the past. So it, was, it used to be just kind of me whenever I got an idea for a shirt, I'd throw it up. But now we have a much more kind of rigorous schedule for that kind of stuff. So, um, and there's, you know, trying to just keep in touch with people from a lot of different sources. I get PMs, I get tweets, I get, you know, <clears throat> emails. Obviously, a lot of email. Um, tweets, both personally and from the Giant Bomb account. Uh, trying to respond if anybody has any questions through that kind of stuff. Uh, keep an eye on YouTube comments, which is a goddamn shit show. Um, and... Gosh, I don't know. There's a, there's a lot of different... I'd say it's kind of like the uh, you know utilitarian, whatever nobody else has time for, I try to take care of. Uh, even things like E3. Like I, I try to get everybody fed, try to get all the beer in that green room, uh, try to uh, just keep everything supplied to a point where everybody else can do their job, which is probably the best description of, of what I try to do. Yeah, almost yeah. a catch-all role in a lot of ways. I have no <laughs> idea how you go through YouTube comments. Like That has to be just... I, I don't want to sound like... It, I. We have a lot of people have just filed complaints about the YouTube community, not just for us, but for a lot of other places. We have a pretty aggressive filtering, keyword filtering system, but there's still a lot of, uh, yeah, a lot of just mean people. And it's I, I get through the worst of it. I mostly look at the filtered comments out and try to take stuff out of there. But in terms of making everybody play nice on YouTube, it's a, it's a very big challenge. I, I, sometimes I think about being more aggressive with cleaning it up over there, or at least being more involved. Um, yeah. But, it's well, it's also more personal because you guys do such personality-based comment, like yeah. content. So you're not yeah. – people aren't saying like – well, people might say like, oh, you suck at a video game. But more often than not, it's, oh, this thing one of these editors said I don't like and I'm going to complain about it. So like that or has just to not, be – not liking people in general. Like, yeah. It's fine to say – you know, hey, I've, I've heard plenty of comments about myself, which is uh, always fun. But, you know, with such a personality-based kind of content, it's, uh, it's one of those things where people just – I don't like everybody. I – I don't like everybody I see on TV or, or anything like that. Sometimes you can't. I, I don't like John Cusack at all. I don't know why. <laughs> Nothing personal. Just can't really stand to see him in a movie. So I totally get that. And to a degree, people should be allowed to express those opinions. But uh, there are people who definitely get over the line and just try to. I don't know. There are a lot of theories about community building and everything like that. I'm, I'm pretty happy with the stuff we have on the site. Um, I think uh, our moderators do a great job of, of keeping stuff pretty positive And not that everything needs to be positive, but... um. Uh, when it's critical 
you can be critical of, of site content and staff and everything like that without being too shitty about it, which is what we try to encourage people. Yeah, I mean, even just from my limited experience doing all these podcasts with all you guys and, and going on the forums and the Reddit and everything like that, you're right, even if people are being critical, there's a sort of constructive non-asshole nature to it, which, again, YouTube, that that's absent. There's a way to express that kind of stuff. And, I, and you know, to a degree, we do, we are, there are a lot of YouTube channels that are just YouTube channels. They don't have a website, they don't have anything else with them. And I really try to focus on the forums and, and that kind of forums and, and chat. Um, on-site is always going to be our main priority. There's a lot of other stuff that people can interact with, communities off-site and everything like that. Um, I, unofficial Facebook community, we just try to say, hey, these are unofficial. We're not affiliated with, affiliated with it. The, your, your mileage may vary. Yeah, um, It's not uh, – there's only so many hours in a day for that kind of – you know, it's a lot of mental – Mental cycles put into that kind of, you know, any in, anytime I buy these people are my friends and I'm cleaning up comments that that are mean or affects everybody who has to do it. So you did mention before that you're like reporting a lot of bugs on Giant Bomb and different things that are coming up like that. Did all of your experience at Obsidian when you're reporting bugs for massive projects like New Vegas and Alpha Protocol, has that made the Giant Bomb experience much easier? Because I, I currently work for a developer. I totally get like the GitHub thing. And when it's this massive scale, you might have teams and you might not have massive teams of Giant Bomb, but has that prepared you a lot for what you deal with the Giant Bomb? Uh, definitely. I mean, we used, I think, SharePoint at Obsidian for reporting mm. stuff, but we use GitHub now and GitHub is very easy. Um, and when I started up screened, I mean, I, we talked to Sign and he's like, Rory, I love your bug reports. Because, you know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's just all you have to do is reprodu- reproducibility. Just, hey, this is what happens when I click this. It should be do, do, do. It does X. It should do Y. And here's the steps to reproduce, and that it's not it's not brain surgery, um, but definitely having the just the steps in place that I'm sitting to do bug reports made it a little easier when I came to the site and just kind of said we were building screened uh, from the ground not from the ground up. They already had the the framework built, but it was it needed its own special challenges, and uh, so it was a lot of going back and forth. Definitely knowing Dave and and the engineers, having them. Um, in the same room really helped a lot but uh, when we got bought or and I came back to Giant Palm a couple years later uh, it definitely was it <clears throat> it's good to have that skill in any in any role if, if you're yeah. working on anything technical it's good to have the skill to report a bug uh, it's it's not an art but it definitely you need to have a little minimum amount of effort put into it but like I said the site right now you know it's code merged with Comic Vine and uh, GameSlot so it's a big uh, but when I started to Giant Palm had its own code base uh, separate from GameSpot, which made maintaining and prioritizing Giant Palm uh, a, a problem because Giant Palm is a much smaller site than uh, GameSpot in terms of, <clears throat> not in terms of staff, obviously, but uh, a lot of different problems when they were separate code bases. It was a long, long journey to make that code base all, all one. Um, yeah. But after that happened, it was a lot easier to get people to pay attention to bugs because they knew that a bug that affected giant bomb was probably also happening on, on GameSpot. Not that it's ever been, people have always been nice and, and, and supportive of, of giant bomb, but when it was that code base merge was a lot easier to get all fix one bug, you hit three sites. So, and this may sound like a silly question again, it, it was 10 years ago or so that you were at obsidian, but uh, was it hard 
to win over maybe the alpha protocol and the fallout dev team and gain their maybe i don't know if respect is the right word but the respect as a producer since you came from a games media background right now i'm i did the exact same thing i came from GameSpot freelance ign freelance and now i'm a producer at a game dev and it's an entirely different world and you're you know you're helping get a lot of things to the finish line you're helping kind of guide teams to certain milestones but as when you come from that media background it's entirely different from the developer's mindset. So did it take a while to integrate yourself into that team and be able to kind of speak at the same level as all the developers? Uh, d- learning the nomenclature was definitely a kind of a, a bigger, it's kind of dropped in, uh, you know, I didn't have a lot of time. At, nobody really had a lot of time at Obsidian to worry about. Uh, I don't want to say that. They were very, everybody's very nice. That's what the one thing I would take away is that everybody's super, super nice and, and very opening and welcoming in that kind of community. So I was never I, – I think my only problems were my own institutional lack of knowledge, like uh, getting up to speed on, on how game dev actually worked was uh, yeah. a bigger challenge. Luckily, there's a lot of time in the day, and a lot of people are spending a lot of that time at work. Uh, so it was – kind of uh, one of those processes of accrual you just kind of have to work your way through it until and ask questions and if you're working at a place where they don't want you to ask any questions you probably should leave um, <laughs> but definitely you you feel guilty because everybody is working very very hard and you don't want to have to take anybody away from their actual job duties to you know, train you or, or get you up to speed but luckily if you you know it's what it's not like a it's not like sitting down and doing training it's more just kind of picking up stuff as you go and uh, luckily, everybody sitting, like I said, was just super sweet. Very nice. Enjoyed my time there quite a bit. That's the crazy part so far, just from my end of there really isn't training. It's a lot of just go do this and you'll figure it out. Yep. Um, and luckily, I have the same experience as you where everyone's super cool. Like no one is like, you don't know this stuff and giving you that sort of attitude. It's very much like, oh, I know you don't come from this background. Just listen to what everyone's saying. Follow as much as you can. Ask as many stupid questions. And boy, if I ask some dumb questions just until you make enough mistakes that it starts making sense. But it is the nomenclature that there's just so many times where I'm like, I have no idea what this person just said. Like, I have no idea what's going on right here. But hopefully eventually that changes. Uh, Were you fully done with being a game dev after Obsidian at that point where you like, did you prefer media and don't have any sort of aspirations to get back into any sort of game development? Um, I would never say never, but um, that two years was a long two years. Uh, again, if I if it, something popped up, I would never say, I would never tune down an interview, but uh, my skills are, are, game dev needs, you know, uh, I would say engineers and uh, artists are, are animators. I worked with all those people. They're all brilliant down on Obsidian, but um, the kind of stuff I can do is probably not in super high demand. Um, production is production is definitely needed. Uh, scheduling and, and making sure everything's happening on time is a valuable skill. Uh, but I, I wouldn't say that I was necessarily even the best at it when I was doing it full time. I'm not as good with Excel and that kind of stuff and budgeting and everything like that. So I, I, that kind of stuff is it all needs to happen. I uh, but I don't know. I'm pretty happy where I am right now. Um, if anything came up, like I said, the only reason I worked at Obsidian was because I knew every game that came out was going to be something that I would want to buy myself and could then turn around and be enthusiastic about talking to people about it. Um, I've seen plenty of people do demos at E3, and like I said, you know, if a game is not quite as polished or a game is not quite on the level of, of uh, I don't know, I've, I've seen people try to sell games they don't believe in, and you can yeah. always feel that kind of insincerity, or at least putting on a, a brave face, or some people just, you know, outface will sell you snake oil if they think they can get the job over on you so i would never want to put myself in that position um 
uh, long-winded way. I, I'd, I'd love to work in game dev again if it ever popped up and I was comfortable with it, but no current aspirations. It, was it a long two years because of the hours or because you were constantly learning things and that can just be mentally draining? Kind of both. I mean, I came into AP near the end of it and I'll, and Fallout near the end of it as well. Um, both in kind of the, it was a pretty crunchy time. I was uh, a lot of the times responsible for getting dinner after, for anybody who stayed after eight or seven, I think, got, got dinner at the, at the, at work. And it was a lot of people every day. Um, <clears throat> so just trying to keep, and just the, the stress of trying to keep on top of everything. When you feel like, uh, what's that word for feeling like you're a fraud or, or something like that? Oh, imposter syndrome. Imposter syndrome. When you kind of have that weird anxiety behind you all times for like two years straight. And I, I never, I never did anything. I never fucked up too bad. Uh, yeah. as how well phrase it. Um, I think somebody who had more skills in those, in the kind of positions that I was put into somebody who had the kind of background would have probably executed better in a lot of ways, but uh, I just try not to mess up too bad. Um, that's all you can really ask. Yeah, no, I, I relate to that. And having like the, the imposter syndrome plus, plus the ever present i don't want to fuck up feeling can be draining in a certain way where by the end of the day even if you work a you know a shorter nine hour day or even a 10 hour day you get back and you're like man i'm happy i didn't fuck up but i couldn't stop thinking to myself just don't fuck up the entire time or just uh trying to feel like in a you know in that kind of advisory not advisory but um kind of management-esque role sometimes just feeling like it's Everybody else is working so hard, and sometimes you like you get your inbox cleared out, and you feel like you should have more to do to help, and you just kind of sometimes you don't, sometimes you just don't have anything left to do. You've taken all your screenshots, um, and you could play more, you could try to file more bugs, but uh, at some point you just kind of have to acknowledge that everybody else here is going to be working way harder than you are, and feeling guilty about that was uh, another a big problem for me, um, but. Uh, yeah. This is honestly making me feel better about my current job <laughs> because I've went through these exact same thoughts recently of, like you said, cleaning out the inbox and you see everyone just going forward, especially on a day where you have to hit a certain milestone. You're sitting there like, I want to help, but I don't have – I'm not an artist. I'm not a programmer. I'm not this. I, I have this limited skill set to do certain things and when everyone else is pushing, you want to be there to support. You're almost this bizarre game dev cheerleader. Um, and like looking around, talking to people, but yeah, it's 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 a weird feeling. Production's crazy. I enjoyed it. It has its own challenges. I could like my only regret is I could have done it much better had I had uh, more kind of a background in production. And for people who don't know the the term producers, it's uh, what I did at Obsidian was mostly trying to. I worked with a team of animator, artists, and engineers, and trying to coordinate them all, uh, get them on on have have them know what they're supposed to be working on any given day or week give them schedules hey there's a milestone coming up we need x done how much realistic time is this going to take um, and that kind of stuff is very valuable if you didn't have that it would be kind of chaotic and i know yeah. there are probably a lot of game developers who don't see the, the need for producers and i think some game studios just kind of don't have producers but um in terms of when especially when you're working for a company that has an external publisher who needs to have these milestones hit you need to have strong scheduling skills i was not super great at that part of it but i had a lot of help with the i, I was the associate producer in there i think there were two or three higher level producers above me in on um, new vegas and probably I want to say ap2 um, so i was kind of just conglomerating that kind of skill set over time and then if i had, had i kept in that role longer i probably wouldn't have been better at it but it's it's um yeah, management production—it's a—it's a needed thing, but it's—it's it's definitely not kind of nobody nobody plays games for the 
following the associate producer role. That's all <laughs> yeah, the, the, those aren't the people that you see in the credits, and you're like, oh man, this person did so much for the game. You're like, well, I just made sure it didn't get fucked up too many times, and yeah. people were managing their time correctly. And like you said, with the publisher, it, it, you do need to have someone who's just saying, like, hey, we need to hit this certain milestone. We need to do this. And I think also that's the double-edged thing where you also need a producer to make sure people aren't suddenly having this week from hell crunch week because the, no one was able to do time management. So it's kind of both pushing people to work towards something and also making sure people aren't overworking. It's again, it's, it's a bad up and down type of thing. Um, we did mention way back at the start of this that you do have that English degree and you were freelancing, you were doing guides, you were doing a lot of written content for the longest time. But now at Giant Bomb, you're still behind the scenes in a lot of ways, but you'll, you'll be on the podcast, you'll be on Unprofessional Fridays. How long did it take for you to maybe not feel fully comfortable, to at least start feeling comfortable being yourself on camera and in front of this community that is Giant Bomb? Because you have all this sort of written experience and stuff, you might have never expected to be in this situation so do you enjoy it at this point yeah i, I do i mean I, I try to again my my role is not to be on camera talent my role is to be you know kind of more support in a lot of different ways so i don't uh, seek out on camera stuff um we have we have honestly more staff now than i think we have ever had uh so there's uh, two whole studios so i kind of if there's something i feel like is not going to be covered at all i'll try to bring it up um but for the most part everything major comes out the done a handful of quick looks for the last couple of years like games like shadow tactics shadow tactics blades of the shogun i think like nobody played it mm. i noticed it like a month later i was like hey we should really do something with this so if that opportunity if i need to if i feel like there's something that really needs to be looked at um always is a chance for that but for the most part everything that comes out is viewed the only thing that we sometimes don't have time for is longer rpgs like i, I really regret not having uh time for pillars of eternity too um i always have to disclose my ties to obsidian when their games come out but just I, nobody had time for it sometimes longer rpgs like that is kind of one of the things that we don't have a huge amount of time for but yeah so there's enough people around to do all the kind of on-camera stuff and podcasting and i have enough on my plate to keep myself busy without that um but it took me a little while when i came back to giant palm to feel comfortable but not too long i mean i'm working around all these people for 10, 15 years now. So, and I've done a lot of camera work at Screen and GameSpot. Um, so, nothing, it wasn't too, too bad. It was uh, kind of a, a natural fit. I was really glad the opportunity came up. In a positive way, do you sometimes forget thousands of people are watching you and you kind of just feel like you're hanging out with your friends playing video games? Is there ever that moment where you can kind of maybe not turn your brain off, but stop thinking about the possible community reaction to opinions or anything that you say? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, that's, that's not super difficult. Um, our community is generally very supportive, uh, which is very nice. They don't have to be. It means, trust me, we get feedback when things aren't working out. Um, and part of my role is to decide how much of that, not decide how much of that feedback gets to the people who need it. But sometimes you don't want to have people in their own head. But then again, there are millions of ways to get in touch with the editors. So you don't need to ever have that kind of gatekeeping or anything like that. But for most of the part, uh, the stuff that I'm on, UPF, I mean, my only goal for that kind of stuff is to make sure, try to make sure it doesn't drag, like make sure we fill the, it's, there's never like a time allotment. We try to go about two hours, but um, I just want to hopefully be entertained. You mentioned not getting too much into people's head with some of the feedback. I've had Jan and Ben and Abby on this podcast who were all recent, you know, hires for Giant Bomb. And I, Ben was pretty open about some of that early feedback, maybe getting to him just, you know, of course, because you can never really be used you, you can't really prepare yourself for 
the type of you know Twitter or even giant or YouTube or giant bomb community feedback you're going to get when you first start. Did you guys try to maybe prepare them for what that initial period was like? Talk to them about hey, don't read the comments or don't let it get to you. Is it even possible to do something like that with new hires? Uh, Abby was you know off in New York, so it's really tough to you know get any one on one time. We try to talk mm. to D three when when we can, just let her know that the moderation staff was always around. And Ben Ben had been on camera at Giant Bomb before he was an intern. Um, I think he kind of got used to some of that, maybe not the brunt of, of what can go on. And mostly what you want to – everybody deserves to have their feedback heard. Uh, I, that is not true at all. Actually, I'll take that back. People who, people who want to be constructive about stuff deserve to have their feedback heard. There are a lot of people who just want to be shitheads and be being um, best, as best we can. We will try to make sure that they are not um, – those comments don't stick around. But, I mean, hey, I – I when I first started doing this, I had a very bad lisp at GameSpot, and I was on camera for some goddamn reason. Um, so there's, I've you know had a lot of feedback about that and everything else. It's it's hard. It's a fine line to uh, to to walk down. It's a hard qu- question to ask. We, we yeah. try our best to let the let let them know if anything comes in to let the moderators deal with it, and we'll, we will do our best. Um, but yeah, it's kind of a trial by fire in some in some degrees. Yeah, and it's different for everyone. Like, everyone is. is different, you know, sort of. Not everyone has a thick skin, which is totally fine. You don't get, it takes sure. a while to get used to that kind of stuff. It took me two years. It took me two years just to be comfortable on camera. I mean, that yeah. is not an uncommon thing. So, luckily, I think Ben and I were both doing great. I think they're both great yeah, on totally. camera. And then it's just trying to not protect them because I think they can handle whatever comes, but uh, make sure that, you know, if people are just going to be shitheads about any staff member, it's not just them or, or Jan. Um, Everybody has their detractors, uh, and to a to a point where it's critical and it's constructive. Great, probably want to hear it. And then there is a point where it's not, and uh, actions have to be taken. Yeah, no, uh, I put a uh, Reddit thread up yesterday that I was going to be podcasting with you and asking for questions from the community. And the main things that there are some weird ones, like a lot of people want to know about your socks, um, oh. about if you're buying socks to match outfits or if it just kind of happens and all this different stuff. But the main thing that kept coming up was some of the crazy support emails that you have gotten and that you continue to get. Do you have any sort of stories about support emails that are either just unbelievably hilarious or outlandish or maybe even not even related to Giant Bomb that you'd be okay sharing? Um, uh, well, we do Comic Fine and Giant Bomb support all wrap up into one uh, interface. It's a desk.com from Salesforce. So it all goes in one big inbox. There's plenty of spam. Uh, and then there is crazy shit. There's a lot of people who get banned from Comic Fine forums for battle. There's battle forums. Uh, which comic book character would beat the other one? Apparently they're... Ugh. It's a weird, weird site. Oh. A lot of people, yeah, it's it's really weird. So some of the feedback there or the comments about Comicline, uh, you know, the Nazi mods banned me because I, I thought Goku would be Batman and, and <laughs> that kind of weird stuff. Um, game Giant Bomb related. It's very much more technical stuff. It's you know a lot of password reset, a lot of billing issues, um, a lot of uh, that kind of technical technical stuff in terms of the really weird ones there's a guy who's been emailing me every month or so actually am i i'm in the interface right now oh um, yes his name is emperor dr dan <laughs> and he sends me these these long i think he sent it to, these are sent to a lot of people all right as far as i can tell he has built in his head like a role-playing game that he is actively involved in um <laughs> and he apparently thinks that he is the let's see if I can find 
he calls himself Emperor, Emperor Dr. Dan. He sent out a character sheet every once in a while. All his stats are like 30. Uh, <laughs> has himself being uh, Emperor Dr. Dan, PhD philosophy, storm, air, god, god of time, god of matter, god of energy, god of thought, god of death, etc. Oh, this dude's resume is stacked. Uh, he's been going on for a few years now. Just keeps on sending weird, weird stuff out. Nothing that seems threatening or or a guy would need to get the police involved or anything like that. But uh, yeah. he he just has this whole RPG that he's playing out in his head. He's living life. Uh, and as far as I can tell, he take, he take, sends pictures of himself. And as far as I can tell, he's is sitting in a public library somewhere, just writing all this stuff uh, about how he you know it's it's bizarre. That's all I'll say. So oh some of God. the really crazy stuff, there, there's some less pleasant crazy stuff too. That I, I honestly, I think some some people get mad for various reasons and wanted to make my life difficult, so they signed me up for a bunch of. I think they put up their support email address in a bunch of different places. We get a lot of spam. It's not very hard to clean up. Um, but then I think by the email address for these kind of things, you'll see it cc'd in to a bunch of different websites. I, I probably on list too that people can buy for for spam, but. Uh, yeah we get some weird stuff i mean in any kind of like open email address like i put that email address out there all the time i'd rather have people send stuff to me than not know how to get in touch um there's always going to be some weird fruity nut cakes but uh for the most part it's pretty easy to separate that stuff out well let's let's take the positive spin on that are there any specific moments or emails or forum posts or anything like that from the giant bomb community that might even be from years back that still stick with you today because you work at a site where the fans and the community are exceptionally passionate they they visit the site daily they're listening and watching and interacting with you know hours and hours and hours of content every single week so is there still a lot of stuff that you'll see that kind of maybe it makes you feel good for a moment or like sticks with you for the rest of the day um i wouldn't uh, emails wise just trying to uh, it's always good when you can have a positive outcome like even just getting somebody logged in who couldn't before uh that's pretty commonplace but then more it's it's more people who want to visit and uh we don't we don't encourage office visits we don't really have a lot of time for it and it's really just an office so there's not a huge amount to see yeah but sometimes if somebody's traveling especially premium members and say hey drop me a line i'll, I'll buy a beer with you uh, after work so had a, met a lot of interesting people that way people from europe a lot of uh, a lot of people from europe actually have come by uh wanted to just swing by the, the city and wanted to go grab a beer so i've had a lot of good times with that i always tell people if you are a premium please be premium just be swinging by um if you're a premium member of the site and or in san francisco for any reason just let me know and i'm happy to i've had a lot of great times I probably yeah. got way too drunk with some people <laughs> uh, but uh so that's that's more what I find positive. There's a lot of community, I mean, community producer. There's a lot more time. I wish I had more time for that kind of stuff. We're, we're going to ramp up to the tournament here pretty soon. I got some other plans. It's just one of those things that kind of I need to make the time to, to, to do it all. But uh, definitely meeting a lot of uh, interesting people at PAX and E3, some less so E3, but more PAX and, uh, and people who come out of the city. It's always been a real joy for me. Well, that's a great transition. Uh, last thing, what are you working on right now at Giant Bomb with the community, whether it be forums or streams or any sort of things that you have coming up that you want to talk about? Well, we have um, we have a website redesign coming up pretty soon. Ooh, uh, that's going to be uh, that's going to be a lot of work um, <laughs> to get that. I mean, not specifically for me, but trying to emphasize community stuff there. We're going to have some ways to promo community stuff, community content from the forums a little bit more heavily, hopefully on the homepage. And then I, uh, I'm a little excited about uh, doing WoW, more WoW streams. Uh, the new WoW expansion is coming out next month. Uh, 
there's a guild that's still active on the forums called the Tazwell Covenant and Alliance Guild. Um, and they're also launching uh, WoW communities, which sounds like a really interesting tool uh, in, in WoW. So you can have a bunch of people kind of join up a, a community and hopefully all get messages and see everything at the same time. But like, it, it's like a, a super guild kind of thing, I think. Um, so I'm really looking forward to trying that out. I know WoW is not everybody's game. I feel bad for shoehorning that into my job as community, but um, uh, hopefully a lot of people still play it. And there's a bunch of other games I want to do more community streams for. We were doing a pretty good run of community co-op corner. I haven't really thought about it in a while, but I should start scheduling more of those. Um, yeah, that's the kind of stuff I like to do. Um, I was like, I should, um, my, my guilt here is I should post on the forums more often, write more blogs, but um, everything kind of ebbs and flows in terms of what your enthusiasm and uh, goals are at any given time. It, has anything supplanted WoW as your current, like, just go home and play this game? Like, is that still your main uh, every weekday night, weekend type of thing? No, I took a long time off. The last few months, I haven't played very much at all. I kind of came back to it uh, with a new expansion coming up. Uh, I've just been playing a huge amount of other stuff. Um, I, I spent like 50 hours in Final Fantasy 15. Oh, that. man. Uh, a lot of, you know, Rise of the Tomb Raider, Prey, a lot of this stuff. I don't always play stuff when it comes out. That's one of the good aspects of, of not necessarily being super involved in content is that I don't feel a huge amount of pressure yeah. to play anything at any given time. I don't have to do anything for a quick look. Um, so I kind of have time to bounce back to games that kind of, I, I'm usually six months to a year behind on stuff. I still haven't beaten Assassin's Creed Origins yet, which I've been working on. So, um, I kind of have been spending a lot more time on single player stuff recently. Um, but yeah, with, uh, the new expansion coming up, I'm, I'm really looking forward to playing some more. Wow. And I think tomorrow I'm going to be joining the, the Tazewell Covenant for their array uh, tomorrow. Not, I don't know when it's going to go up, but, uh, t- tomorrow as of this recording, <laughs> I'm going to be spending some time with the community members in a, in a raid uh, night. So hopefully that'll, if they have a pretty good schedule and they seem like they're doing normal heroic stuff, so hopefully we can keep that going. Uh, if they're w- willing to have me and if people want to join in, we'll, we'll probably have some, hopefully, uh, maybe weekly raid nights. I don't, I don't want to commit to that, but um, I really do want to play more, more WoW with uh, community members. It's always fun. Yeah, I'm not a WoW guy, but eventually I want to get involved in one of these sort of community get-togethers with yeah. these different games because it seems like a super cool thing that you guys do. We did one a few months ago where I, I have not used Discord a huge amount since it came out, but we just set up a Discord channel, and I had not done the raid on normal, I don't think, but we had a few community members in there talking and just explaining all the fights, and it was I thought it was super fun to do. Um so hopefully if we go through this with the community members, have some people... The, the only thing about my WoW streams that I find frustrating is that sometimes I'm, I'm talking for like three hours straight. Or even any any of my streams. I did the Extra Life Marathon last year. And doing eight hours by yourself, just chatting away, is a little tough. And I, I know that's small potatoes compared to what some people do. But uh, hopefully with these upcoming WoW stuff, we can have uh, a little Discord chat. Uh, talk stuff out. And I think that stuff is really, really fun. Yeah, no... Perfect. Thanks so much for doing this, Matt. I, I really do appreciate it. Like, it's. I think it is cool to see. Like, when you do encourage the community to come together, because again, not to sound like corny, but it feels like there is this sort of family aspect to a lot of the Giant Bomb community, and you might not actually know them in person, but whether it be the Reddit or the Facebook group or just the actual website, I've always had this just incredibly positive interaction with all these different people i know you're behind the scenes with a lot of stuff but i think what you do is really important for the site and i remember the only time i've ever had any sort of like payment issue you got back to me within like 15 minutes and immediately fixed it so uh, thanks so much for coming on really appreciate what you do and can't wait to see all these different community nights that you're planning 
Awesome. Thanks for thanks for having me. Sorry Absolutely. if I, I'm trying to talk my best today. So nice. <laughs> You're great. You're totally fine. Thanks everyone for listening. Hopefully tune back in for the next episode of the 1099.